0: Well, good morning, church, on this uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's good to see people in our combined worship and welcome those who are worshiping us with us on the live stream. Uh, Just a couple of comments. First of all, thank you for your faithfulness in financially supporting the ministry during this COVID season and so thankful for the Lord's goodness and giving through his people. And the second thing is to underscore the fact that we want to have in-person worship, therefore, we are asking you, requiring for you to wear face masks. Thank you for doing that. We're practicing social distancing, every other road trying to do that, so people can come back and, and worship. So thank you for loving your neighbor and being sensitive to their needs. So this is Thanksgiving 2020, and it's been a very different year, a very difficult year. I saw this the other day, somebody said, "This is the way I was preparing for 2020, and this is what happened to me in 2020. Uh, It's it's, it's been a different year. It's been a hard year uh, with ups and downs. Last Saturday, eight days ago, I was home. My son called me, it was 9.30 in the morning. He was in California, 6.30 his time. And as we talked, he said, well, dad, what are you gonna do today? I said, well, I've gotten up, had a great time studying, went for a walk. We're getting ready to have a fairly late breakfast and then I'm gonna sit down and watch Clemson play Florida State. And he said, no, you're not. I said, what do you mean? He says, they've canceled the game. I said, come on, don't. My son pulls practical jokes. He got that from his mama. And uh, I, said, uh, I said, come on. He said, no, Dad, they called it off. I said, so they called it off. And I talked to someone later that day, and they said, what do you expect? It's 2020, wild things happen. The New York Times ran an article entitled, The Election's Over, But Not the Stress Are Any Edibles Left. On the November 11th edition talks about a woman named Miss Killian from Michigan who was in this swing state, and she worked hard for her candidate. And then she said, but the panic and the anxious feelings, it has all been too much. I knew I was not. I was only going to get through it with some help. She said, I used to be the kind of person who would judge someone, especially a mother like me, for taking edibles. But you know what? Everything happening here in this country is just too much The people need some help. quote, For many people across the United States, help came in the form of gummy bears, cookies, chocolates, and gel capsules, all infused with doses of cannabis, calibrated to soothe election day jitters while nationwide sales information is hard to come by. Companies that specialize in edibles said sales soared in the weeks leading to the election. No longer a fringe item, Limited to pot brownies in the college dorm, edibles are being sold as part of the wellness industry and marketed as pantry staples. It is Facebook says there is an edible for every type of anxiety. It goes on and talks about a man in New York named Doug Cohen who, with his business partner Miguel Trinidad, has started a multi-course marijuana dining experience that cost 150 bucks a person. During the pandemic, they shifted from meals to cooking courses, helping customers experiment with new ways to saute, sear, broil, and bake with marijuana at home. Demand for at-home edibles cooking classes has skyrocketed as the election drew near. Back to Michigan, Mrs. Killian said the edibles had helped her get through the stress of waiting for the election results. All while she watched the number of people infected with coronavirus in the U.S. rise each day and as she homeschooled her son. I think it'd be fun to be homeschooled by somebody just soothing himself with cannabis. On election night, she stayed awake till 3 a.m. trying to get the results. She says, there were no results. She said, as it was, I felt a little stressed, but I also felt calm. I knew I could wait and find out who won. Days later, she was happy that she had the foresight to stock up her on her favorite edibles. Shops are selling out, she said. People are stressed. People need their medicine. Well, the truth is stranger than fiction. So so, what do you do when you're stressed out? What do you do when you're at wit's end? What do you do when there are sleepless nights? How do you handle the inevitable downturns and frustrations of life? That's what I want to talk about this morning on Thanksgiving Sunday. I'm going to go to Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is a psalm that could be an individual or a community lament. And the background is this. The psalmist is saying, uh, I can't find God. The ceilings are brass. My prayers fall to the ground. I, I can't sense the presence of God. I, 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 I don't know where to go. I don't know how to respond. And so the issue that he addresses in this psalm is what do you do when you're without hope, when you have trouble sleeping, when you're discouraged, when you're beat down? And it's a psalm that's rich with instruction. And let me just read the first section. I'll deal with three different sections, verses one through four. Listen to the scripture. I, I cry aloud to God. Psalm 77. "Aloud to God, and, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. See, here's an individual who says, when I meditate upon God, there's no comfort. I, I moan. And he says, My spirit faints. I, I lose all sense of hope, or I, or I sink into despair. And he says, The Lord holds open my eyelids. I can't sleep. I toss and I turn, and I'm filled with despair and loneliness and frustration and the struggle to fight to see the Lord clearly. The first thing I wanna say about this guy is this psalmist. I love the fact that he does not throw in the towel. I love the fact that he he is pushing into knowing God. It'd be easy to just close shop, shut the book, do something else, find something some other diversion, but he realizes that his hope is in God. And so I says, I'm gonna call out to God. I'm gonna cry out to God. I'm gonna plead with God until I see him. I'm going to wait upon him. Now, you read this. Let me say this very clearly. This is the experience of every child of God. There are times when you feel discouraged. You feel beat down. You feel like God doesn't hear you. you. You toss and turn in sleeplessness. And when you try to contemplate the character of God, you moan. And you faint. He says, yeah, I faint. I, I, I lose my hope. That is our experience. It's easy to go through life and to come to church and to go to community groups and sometimes see people and say, man, they have got it all together. No one here has it all together. It's easy to talk to people and say, man, they don't deal with issues the way I deal with issues. Every person here deals with issues. Every person. So this is the experience of every child of God. Now I love the fact that he doesn't throw in the towel. There's a little statement made in a book called The Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and he talks about the law of undulation, and that just means emotionally you, 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 we do. Some people do this, some people do this, but everybody has their ups and their downs. The law of undulation, Lewis says, is this: he said as long as people live on Earth, periods of emotional. And bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and emotional poverty. The dryness and dullness through which people walk is a natural phenomenon. And other words, it says that ups and downs are part of the fabric of life. The question is, how, what do you do when you find yourself discouraged and beat down? Well, the answer is you wait upon the Lord. There's a st- waiting upon the Lord, we sang about it, we're going to close by singing about it. it, means that you look to the living God with expectation and hope. You wait upon the Lord. We Many of us have our Bible study in the morning. I do, I'm a morning person. We call it, some people call it their morning quiet time or morning watch. I believe maybe we should call it the morning wait. You look to the Lord for fresh energy. You look to the Holy Spirit for fresh anointings. Listen to some verses on waiting on the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. The psalmist says, I was in a miry bog. I was sinking down, and I looked to the Lord. I waited on him, and he lifted me up. Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. But you wait. Psalm 52, verse 9, I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. That's what we do on Sunday. We wait in worship for the empowering presence of God in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ. We wait upon the Lord. So many of the Psalms are are the fight to see God. Psalm 86, incline your ear to me, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. Verse two, preserve my life. Verse three, be gracious to me. Verse four, gladden the soul of your servant. Verse five, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Verse 10, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart that I might fear your name. He says, I'm in trouble, Lord, bless me. Psalm 28, the same concept. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me. Lest, if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Lord, if you don't work, I'm going I'm to sink into despair. Verse 10 and 11, or nine, 8 and 9 says, The Lord is the strength of his people. He's the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. You see, this is the, waiting is the fight to see the tender mercy and the goodness of God. So, so the question... This answer in Psalm 77 is how do you wait upon the Lord? When you're downcast, how do you look to the Lord in such a way that the end result is hope? The theme of today's Advent reading, hope. Two things I want to mention. Number one is you do a personal inventory. Listen to verses 5 through 9 of this psalm. I consider the days of old the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night and let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search and asked the following questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up himself and his compassion So, this personal inventory. He called to mind the faithfulness of God. He says, I'm gonna meditate and I'm gonna remember the songs I used to sing when I was experiencing the fullness and the blessing and the grace of God. My songs in the night. Let me ask you this question. When you toss and turn, when you wake up concerned about your life, your kids, your grandkids, your job, whatever. And and, and what song, what refrain do you sing in the night? What what do you call to mind and heart? I, I, I studied this passage this week. I thought, well, one song that I recalled is a song I learned when I first became a believer. It's an old hymn, Standing on the Promises. One verse says, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the doubt, howling storms of doubt and fear assail, and they're gonna come. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. I am standing on the promises of God. And I thought, you know, if I'm gonna sing a song in the night, when I do, another song would be this. Would you be free from your burden and sin? There's power in the blood. Would you or victory or or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder, working power in the blood of the lamb. That doesn't. Or an old hymn. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and I pour contempt on all my pride. See from his ha- head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So, so what I'm saying is, first of all, it's good to memorize some of these songs, and to get old. No, but but no songs about the goodness of Jesus. I've read some books about the Titanic that went down April the fourteenth, nineteen twelve. Over fifteen hundred people perished. And when the ship first hit the iceberg, the captain thought, we're going to be okay, we'll stop, it, but there's some panic. So he ordered a small orchestra to be put on the deck, and they they were playing lighthearted music. And then when the ship started to list, and people were, they thought, this ship's going down, the little orchestra started playing a hymn. Nearer my God to thee. That's true. It's, it's several times, historically, uh, you read the accounts. And, and so I, I thought, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. So I've I, I looked up the hymn, Near My God to Thee. It's a loser hymn. It's a horrible hymn. It says nothing about the character of God, nothing about the reality of Jesus, nothing about the cross. It could be sung by a Buddhist or a Hindu. It says nothing. In fact, it was written for a Unitarian Universalist ch- church, which explains it, because they believe nothing about anything. So if you're going to learn a hymn, learn about Jesus. Your songs tonight should be about the cross, about the mercy and the forgiveness of sin. Those are things that that energize the heart of a believer. And then he says this, I made a diligent search. As I meditated and sang, I made a diligent search. And he asked himself these questions. He said, for example, he said, will the Lord spurn forever? No. Will will, will he never again be favorable? No. Has his steadfast love forever cease? Well, first of all, that's oxymoronic. How of steadfast love ever cease? It's impossible. Are his promises at an end for all time? No. no. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No. So, so see, I'll just see that in his despondency, he focused on the character of God. He focused on the promises of God. When you're despondent, despairing, moaning, don't Let the devil or the worldly system talk to you. Let the scripture talk to you. The worldly system says you've blown it again. You're filled with shame. How can you have done that again? Do you really think there's forgiveness in you? I mean, the Bible says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those against us. And so today you heard the name of somebody that's done you dirty and you thought horrible thoughts in your heart. How could you possibly do that? And so you end up beating yourself up that's the world, that's the devil, that's the shame factor. The psalmist shows us how to think. He thinks about the character of God and the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and the steadfast mercy of the Lord this new every morning. So we ask these questions. Second, after the personal inventory and see what God has done in your life, you have an inventory of, of History. And he pivots in verse 10. He says, and I said, I will appeal to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And I will meditate on your mighty deeds. He uses the same word with three different meanings, but the same concept. Remember, remember, ponder, Muse. I will meditate or muse, I will ponder, I'll remember, I'll remember. And, and, and we do a personal inventory, and then we do a history, an inventory of history. And he says, I'll remember your deeds, I'll remember your wonders of old, I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And Listen to me. I, I am uh, sorrowful that I don't know more about creation and the beautiful world around us. It's it's, it's a weakness, I just don't. But uh, this past summer and fall, we have a hummingbird feeder on our porch. And we set out there and there were four different hummingbirds that would come in and get food out of our hummingbird feeder. And so I I just became mesmerized with hummingbirds. And part of God's creation. Do you know a hummingbird can beat its wings twelve to eighty times a second? Yeah. Just just try it. I yeah. will maybe get four in. Think did twelve to eighty times a second. Do you know they can dive at fifty miles an hour? I mean, they dive in our porch and boom, boom, boom. You stand up and hit you, kill you. I mean, be embarrassed to be. Killed, hit by a hummingbird, died. But I mean, this, and I just think this is a little hummingbird, which is glorious, but it's just a nano, 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 nano point of 0.0001 of God's incredible creation. And so when you ponder the great created order and the universes and the expanse, you realize that this was spoken into being by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as they hovered over the deep. That the Bible says that all of this was made by, through, and for Jesus. And so you you ponder that and you go, go, wow. And then he says this. He says, not only do I ponder creation, but I remember your work in history. I remember the glorious things that you have done among and in your people. Let me just say this. That, That if you name the name of Jesus as your savior and king, Pessimism has no place in your being. Whatever happens, if we go into the new dark ages or God does something marvelous, he is on the throne, he reigns, and we're called to be faithful stewards of the grace that he's given us in the word of God. So we go forward. We live with courage and enthusiasm and vitality. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. You know, I'm in this pit. But I remember the work of creation, I ponder the incredible work of God in history, and it gives me fresh joy. So so I I love history, but I think about our country, I think about uh, other issues, I think about 1720 and thirty. the colonies were slipping into a time of, of basically disbelief, unbelief, in fact, people were saying that within two generations, the church would no longer exist. And then in 1740 to 1742, something happened called the First Great Awakening, where God brought people in like Whitfield and Edwards and the Tennant brothers. And, and there was a movement of God, and thousands and tens of thousands were swept into the church and became vibrant followers for Jesus, and they carried it through the Revolutionary War. And I thought about once again. The church was kind of sliding, and there was something called the Second Great Awakening in 1830 or so. And in that period, about a 15-year period, that's when Methodism and Baptists got their foothold in America and grew dramatically as God moved among his people. And just a few years later, there was, again, there was a dearth. The country was falling into a horrible conflict called the Civil War, and yet there was a prayer movement birthed in New York in 1856 that swept the whole nation. Or... The Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905 that spread really to the ends of the earth. God moved in power. And I read this. And I, some of you were alive in the 60s when we had, had what we called the, the Jesus Revolution. And College campuses were turned upside down for Jesus. And I say, God, do it again. Do it again in our day. Let us see a sweeping movement of the Holy Spirit. And when you ponder the great works of God, you never are without hope. Ever. Ever. So even in our day and age, there are pockets of movements in in, in the Muslim world where people are coming to Christ by by the thousands. It's never happened before. I could go on and on and on. But but we are never without hope. So, So don't be dour. Look at the psalm. Ponder the work of the Lord. Ponder His work in history. And be incredibly glad that you serve A gracious God. And then he comes to this conclusion. As he ponders this, listen to verse 13 to 15. Your way, O God, is holy. O God, you are great. Verse 14, you work wonders. You've made known your might among your peoples. And you have redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. You've redeemed us. All of your great works culminate in the fact that you are a redeeming God. In the fullness of time, you fulfilled the sacrificial system in the work of Jesus on the cross for our sins. So you ponder these things and you look at the conclusion and you are glad. So, let me ask you this. As you ponder the work of the Lord and the psalmist ponder the work of the Lord, And he said, Lord, you parted the Red Sea for your people, you part Red Seas today. And as he thought about his position, as he gave his, reviewed his personal history, and the history of God in redemption, he came to this conclusion. Verse 19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What I'm saying is that that God, you lead by your spirit and your footprints aren't seen, but you are there. And we trust you in that. And so even our despondency and despair, as we review our personal salvation, as we review your work in history, we are glad because you're the God who works. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged and live for the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what song do you sing in the night? If I die this week, and I might. Sing what can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's my hope. So I did some research on what people sang at their funerals. I came upon a funeral description article about this woman, Carrie Fisher, that's Princess Leia from Star Wars. Uh, Carrie Fisher died suddenly at the age of 60 a couple of years ago. She was the daughter of Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Some of you know that. Her, her mom and dad parted ways when she was a mere two-year-old child because her dad left America's sweetheart and started living with a woman named Elizabeth Taylor, married her. I think he was number three or four of seven husbands for her. Carrie Fisher, by her own statement, was in and out of drug rehab most of her years. She had uh, broken relationships, numerous marriages. She was engaged to Dan Aykroyd, had a relationship with Harrison Ford, was married to Paul Simon, she was married to a man that uh, was married to her for five years, and then she, he left her for another man. Her life was filled with heartbreak and sorrow. She called herself an enthusiastic agnostic. An agnostic believes there is a God, but he cannot be defined. When her service was held, there were... Uh, 30 or 40, 50 Hollywood elites who went to the service and she had left specific instruction that the song to be sung should be uh, a song from 1929 entitled, Happy Days Are Here Again. And so the service, or whatever it was, was closed by Meryl Streep leading those present and singing the song, Happy Days Are Here Again. That goes like, Happy Days Are Here Again, the skies above are clear again, let us sing a song of cheer again, For happy days are here again. What a sorrowful thing. A woman who died in brokenness, a woman who died with no hope. What song do you sing? Do you sing about the greatness of Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, the glory of the cross, the empty tomb, the reality of heaven? What do you sing about? What songs do you sing in the night? So um, I read a book recently called A Holy Roar. It's a, book, a little book on worship. And it takes seven Hebrew words that are all synonyms for worship, I like lifting your hands. But chapter seven was about the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means a loud proclamation or a hearty proclamation. They call it a holy roar when you affirm the goodness of God. So we're we're gonna do something a little different this morning. Um, Before we sing about the joy of waiting upon the Lord, uh, we're we're gonna have uh, a time to think about the goodness of the Lord just by reading the promises or the statements from Psalm 77. I want you to stand where you are and just kind of stand. And uh, I'm gonna read these questions from uh, Psalm 77. And I'm gonna stop, read the question, I'll point to you and I want you to say, no, if if that's your profession. Okay, you got it? All right. Holy roar. Let's go back to Psalm 77, verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever? No. Okay, that's okay. Will the Lord never again be favorable? No. no. okay. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? No. See, See, really, I thought about, we have children here. It's in not a curse, but it's just saying, hell no, you know? Hell is empty. Hell going to be emptied of God's people. You know what I mean? Anyway, okay, we're going forget I said that. Let's keep on going. Okay. Okay. Are his promises at an end for all time? No. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No. Has his anger shut up his compassion? No. Thanks be to God.